Welcome to the Crossing Church Sermon Podcast. Thank you for listening. We're glad you've connected with us. Our hope is that God speaks to your heart in a new way through this message. If you're new to the Crossing Church, please feel free to reach out to us by visiting our contact page or by paying us a visit. We would love to meet you. This week's sermon podcast begins in three, two, one. Does anybody ever feel indecisive? Raise your hand if you ever feel indecisive. All right, look around. Look around. All right, put them down. Okay. How many of you, you know, aren't sure if you're ever indecisive? You're not sure. Are you? All right, two people up there. Uh, you are. You are, by the way, just to let you know. If you've ever felt indecisive, maybe you can relate to this story. All right, I saw, I saw this yesterday. I'd never heard this before, and I saw this yesterday, yesterday morning at about 7.15 when I started to work, you know, because I knew I was preaching today. The world's longest engagement, you think you were engaged for a long time? The world's longest engagement was between Octavio Guillen and Adriana Martinez from Mexico. Octavio popped the question to Adriana, and she said yes. That was in 1902 when they were both 15 years old, but for one reason or another, they just couldn't quite decide, so they kept putting it off. They kept putting it off the wedding day, and finally they got married in 1969 when they were both 82 years old. It took Octavio and Adriana 67 years of engagement to finally decide, I think we're going to take this step of faith and we're going to go out and, and, and get married. Listen, we're, we're, we make decisions every day. Everybody makes dozens and dozens of decisions every day. Some of them are small. Most of them are small. And some of them, you know, are the large variety, you know, go to Boston College or stay home and go to Montclair State, save a lot of money, save a lot of money, right? Or, you know, sell now or try to ride it out, ride out the financial storm, accept the marriage proposal or, you know, like Julia Roberts and Runaway Bride, get on a horse and gallop away for 82 years or until you're 82 years old or whatever. Now, as I said, most of our decisions, most of the decisions that we make in life are not that significant, but in all our decisions, if you are in any way serious about following God, in any way serious about following God, whether it's big decisions or the small Wednesday afternoon garden variety type decisions, wouldn't you like to know that God is in the decision-making process? Wouldn't you like to know that God is guiding, that he's guarding the decision-making process? I've told you before, if you've been around here for any length of time, that I am somewhat directionally challenged. And the greatest invention in my mind uh, since electricity was the GPS, the global positioning system, and I have my car. But while amazing, it has at times become useless for me, depending on whether, you know, the signal gets through to the satellites that are flying above. And, you know, a lot of times, the times it fails most is the time when I need it most. Like when I'm in New York City and it says, Lincoln Tunnel is this way, and then it messes it up and it goes the other way. And if you make a mistake in Manhattan about going to a tunnel or something, that could, that could be 45 minutes, as you know. Anyway, so, but, you know, it depends if there's clock inaccuracies, atmospheric conditions, skyscrapers, mountains, they all produce inaccuracies. The signal's beaming up, but sometimes things get thrown off. And sometimes I think that's the way it is with us. We're signaling God, but because we are where we are in our lives, it's getting distorted. 
and it's getting, you know, bad information is kind of going up. And we end up heading at breakneck speed down a highway that eventually we're going to have to exit, depending on how long we're going to exit it at some point. The good news is that God has a thousand off-ramps on the highway of life. And at any age and at any time and in any situation, we can reset the navigation system in our lives and be guided by God again. Now, how does God guide his children? How does a person determine the will of God in his or her decision-making process? How do we determine the direction of our lives? Some people think it's a complicated formula. It's really not. It's really not a complicated formula at all. You know, if, if there was anyone who you would think would have a handle on where God wanted him to go and how God wanted to direct him, you would think in the Bible that the Apostle Paul would be up near the top. Wouldn't you say so? I mean, I, I think so. I've read through his books many times. I know his heart. I know his mindset. I would think that, you know what, this is a guy who knows how to make decisions. This is a guy who hears the voice of God. This is a guy who doesn't need, you know, really that big a tune-up to his uh, GPS system. If uh, ever there was a take charge, I got this situation under control, follow me, men, type of guy, it was the Apostle Paul. But there was a time, there was a time when even the great Apostle came to the point in his life when he didn't know his right from his left as far as God's guidance was concerned. And that little episode is recorded in Acts chapter 16, if you have your Bibles, Acts chapter 16. And it's really ironic. If you look at, I'm not going to go back because we don't have the time this morning, but it's very ironic that after bringing unity to the church in Acts chapter 15, it, the church was about to split apart because of a doctrinal issue. Very seldom the church is split apart because of doctrinal issues now. It's always like carpet, no, no tile, no carpet, no tile. It's stuff like, it's ridiculous stuff that churches split apart. If you look at the great church fights in history, if you look at some of the tension in many years past that we had at this church, it was over really stupid, stupid things. It wasn't, it wasn't over, you know, the foundations of the faith. But the faith was being attacked in Acts chapter 15, and guys like Paul and guys like Barnabas and a whole host of others and the apostles, they got together and they said, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute we got to talk this thing through. And they kept the unity of the faith. Because of Acts 15, they came to some decisions. You can read about the decisions in Acts chapter 15. Immediately following this great victory in Acts chapter 15, you get to the end of Acts chapter 15, just before Acts chapter 16, and you find the apostle who had just helped save the church from a major schism and... The other guy, Barnabas, his partner that he had gone on this first missionary journey with, these two guys who had kind of led this church council in Acts 15, they come to such a sharp disagreement about something, something that seems to a lot of scholars a little stupid, that they split. Their relationship actually came apart. Folks, you know what? As an aside, I was thinking about this. I am so glad that the Bible does not hide the warts of even its greatest figures, you know? And it's really funny how the Holy Spirit put that in Acts chapter 15 because he's being used to bring, he's this big powerful guy, Paul, and he's up there and he's saying, brothers, we got to do this, we got to do that. And everybody says, you know what, he's right. And then five minutes later, he's like, you know what, I want to bring this guy with us on a missionary journey. No, I don't think you should bring him. Yes, we should. No, we shouldn't. And they, they break up. It's almost comical. If you look at that, you say, well, that's, that's stupid. Nobody put, would put one after the other. See, the Bible does that because the Bible wants us to understand that these are men with feet of clay. These are men who were stumbling in the right direction, but who still stumbled. So 
we get through that, and we come into Acts chapter 16. And Paul leaves Barnabas. Barnabas goes one way. He goes to Crete, and Paul goes another way, and he takes a guy by the name of Silas. And they go, and their first stop, they become reacquainted with a very wonderful family uh, in Lystra and a young man by the name of Timothy. And now Timothy became their young protege in their missionary endeavors. Now, so, you know, Paul goes out, and he does something that God had told him to do. God had told all Christians to do. And his first missionary journey, he went out, he told people about the Messiah. He's here, we've been waiting for him, here he is. Now he goes to encourage them. Now they're home, they're back, they're on vacation, they're on sabbatical, and now they go back out again. And he wants to go back to the very same churches that he had preached to, and he wants to strengthen them, and he wants to encourage them. Paul was not the type of evangelist that blows into town and then leaves these young saplings to fend for themselves. Perhaps that had something to do with the fact that Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28, remember what he said? Go and make, what? Of all the nations and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. To disciple someone, you need to be present. To disciple someone, there has to be conversation. There needs to be kind of things where you're sitting and having a cup of coffee and you're talking about sports and then all of a sudden, you know, God begins to come up. It's not specifically always walking through a a workbook, although it may be. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. I'm sure the apostle Paul had heard this. When Jesus, just before he ascended to heaven, said this, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the very ends of the earth. Go and be a witness, and as you are going, make disciples everywhere and teach them how to live rightly before God. See, Paul knew these words. They all did. Paul didn't wake up and decide that this is something, this would be a good idea. You know, I know what we should do next. We should make disciples. No, this, this did not originate with him. Jesus had given his disciples explicit instructions already on what they were supposed to be doing. So he and Timothy were doing what all Christians had already been told to do. When they, all of a sudden, they ran into some uncertainty, let's call it, some uncertainty and some questions. You know, God has a way of directing his children while his children are in the process of following directions that they have already been given. If I want to go to an old college roommate's house in Colorado, but don't have the street number, he moved, and I forget, you know, I don't have the street or the street number in particular, uh, I did go through third grade. And I remember that Colorado is west and not east. So I know if I get on Route 80 that eventually, you know, I'll be heading in the right direction immediately. And eventually somewhere when I get further instructions and I get closer, you know what, I'm going to find out where he lives. I have general instructions. I remember my third grade geography. God directed Paul, Silas, and Timothy into particulars while they were following directions that they had already been given. If we hope for God's guidance in the particulars, in the decision-making process of our lives, we need to be following directions that have already been clearly given. So the first thing we need to do in the decision-making process is to go with what you know. Go with what you know. Now, we here at The Crossing believe that God has already given us general directions, our our, our, directions. Vision statement is, is really general directions. And here, here's the general directions that God has told us to go. Teach people how to love God, love people, and what? Serve 
Serve the world. Love God, love people, serve the world. That's, that's the big picture kind of thing. Those are the general directions. Paul was definitely progressing in all of those things. In spite of, of, a, of a graphic and major breakdown with Barnabas, the Spirit of God was using Paul to bring unity to God's people. Who can question the fact that he loved God? I mean, who can question that fact? Or, or that he had a servant's heart and was willing to go wherever God wanted him to go. It is important to remember this. Paul was already about doing what he knew God had called him to do when his need for more specialized, specific guidance was needed. He wasn't doing it perfectly, but he was stumbling along, what do we say at the crossing, in the right direction. He was being obedient to what God had already told him to do. Now listen, one of the problems that people have and one of the barriers they experience to getting clear direction is that they're not listening to God's general directions right now in their lives. God has told them certain things and they're not listening to that and then they expect God to fill in the particulars. You know, we, we're not doing the general, now we want the specific. And that, that really is basic. It's very, very basic. It's, you know what it comes down to? It comes down to something called disobedience. Very, you know, easy word, disobedience. Before you decide what design you want to put on a cake, you know, some of you, we got some bakers in this. We got some really fine bakers at our church. Some of the, some of the handiwork was the other night we had our Renew, right? We had our Renew cupcakes, and they got these flowers on them. And I'm going, wow, that's really cool. But you know what? Before you put the design in the cake or in the cupcakes, you got to make, make the cupcake. You got you to heat up the oven. You got to know what to do with the batter and the eggs and everything else. You got to do the basic stuff before you can put the pretty stuff on it, right? The general has to be done before the specific is done. It's one of the problems we have in determining the mind of God right now in our decisions. We're not following the general instructions to begin with. In a recent study conducted by ChristianMingle.com, have you ever heard of ChristianMingle.com? You know, this thing is, is uh, now one of the ways that Christian couples meet. And a lot of, I've met many Christian couples now uh, who have met through uh, dating services. And ChristianMingle.com is one of the biggest. And uh, they did a survey. They asked Christian adults, can you call an 18-year-old adult? I guess. Uh, uh, Christian adults, 18 to 59, big gap there, okay? They asked them this question. Those who are on ChristianMingle.com, would you have sex before marriage? That's all they said. Didn't, didn't qualify it, didn't say anything else. 18 to 59, would you have sex before marriage? The response, 63% of the single Christian respondents said yes. In response to that survey, a uh, pastor by the name of Kenny Luck, he wrote this. He said, in my 30 years of youth and adult ministry experience, this is as unfiltered, direct, and honest as a question and answer can be. In practice, Christian young adults have become sexual atheists. In other words, God has nothing to say to them on that subject of any consequence or at least anything meaningful enough to dissuade them from following their own course of conduct. It is the ultimate oxymoron. A person who at once believes in a wise, sovereign, and loving God who created them and all things can also believe simultaneously he should not, cannot, or will not inform their thinking or living sexually. See, often we say we love God and we want to please God. We're trusting him to know what is best for us. We say we want to get better at loving others. And God says time and time again that when you engage sexual partner after sexual partner, 
that there's a mini tearing of the soul when the parting comes, especially for young women. Let me tell you something. One of the reasons a lot of young women are so screwed up, i got to tell you something right now. Their soul has been destroyed because it's been torn apart so many times. It's like, you know, it's like the old paper when you're in third grade. You put that glue that kids like to eat. Remember the glue you like to eat? Then you put, you put the red with the green. And then, you know, yeah, I don't want to put that red nose on that green face. You take it off. There's always fibers that are left behind, aren't there? Always. You can never get it cleanly off. See, that's what happens, and God understands that. When you enter into relationships that God has said, don't do it, not because I'm a killjoy, not because I don't want you to experience the fullness of life, but because I know the consequences when they go out of bounds. When you go off-road, you know what? You're going to leave your muffler behind somewhere. You're going to hit a rock. See, I get it. I made you. I understand. If you have decided to ignore God's general desires and directions for you, and then you wonder why he seems not to be leading you in specific decision-making, think no more. Don't waste any more of your time. If you insist on heading over the GW Bridge towards Long Island and expect to one day end up in Colorado, you will be disappointed. Disobedience gets in the way of the signal. Then there's another problem, as I see it. There's another problem. It's the problem of presumptuous planning presumptuous planning. Paul wasn't, look, <laughs> I love Paul. Paul's not a kind of guy that's sitting around just saying, well, you know what, when I see handwriting on the wall, maybe I'll do something with my life. Hey, that, that, that's not Paul. He made life plans. He was always planning ahead. Plans that took into account a God who already knew all about him and already knew the future. The Apostle Paul strategized. The Apostle Paul dreamed. And i got to tell you something right now. God is all for planning. Say, well, God doesn't care. God cares if you plan your life. God is, is honored by strategizing for a good goal and a good end. I really believe he is. But sometimes people who are already moving, they've already made their plans, if they're not blatantly disobedient, really are guilty of presumptuous planning, which in the end could be just as damaging when trying to make God-patterned decisions in our lives. If you want God's guidance in your decision-making, go ahead, by all means, make your plans, but leave room for God to come in at any time and change or add to those plans. Frankly, sometimes I get out of sorts and I'm talking about me, and I start planning good things, and I put all my efforts into good things, and, you know, I insist on them, and, you know, all the while, you find out later God had something better in mind. I, I, saw, I read a story yesterday. The guy's got to be like my father's age, and you'll, you'll know in a minute, okay? He said, this guy wrote this. I tried to track it down a little bit more, see, you know, a little bit more about him, but I couldn't, but it, it, well, just listen. A man said, years ago, I lived in a small town where I could never buy anything to fit me. I used to send to a store for what I needed, and they would send me printed order forms. And at the bottom of the forms were the words, if we do not have the item in stock, may we please substitute. Now listen, I, I know there's a lot of poor people in this country who don't live 10 minutes from a mall. I feel sorry for them. I'm sorry for you if you, if you maybe live there. But we're used to getting what we want right away. Now, 
Can you imagine sending out, and for a pair of pants that you see, maybe in a catalog, and saying, well, you know, if you don't have that, can we substitute? Yeah, you, my father would say something like that. I would never say something like that. Yeah, you know what? We don't have the blue, but you know what? How about the green? It's a little bit different. It's a little bigger, a little this, a little thinner. No, I would never do that. My, my dad would be okay with that. He'd go, yeah, yeah, why not? You could substitute that. Anyway, this guy says, you know, he says, okay, you know what? You could do that. Once I said yes... And they wrote back, and this is what they said. We are sorry we do not have your item in stock, but we are substituting. And the man said, uh, they sent me something that was worth double the price that I paid. As a rule, whenever they substituted, they always sent something of better quality. <laughs> and then he said this. This is, this is, a, is a wise man. When we pray for direction, be willing to say, yes, Lord, you may substitute what I want for anything else. Lord, this is what I want, but thy will be done. Nice. Yeah, that's right. The Bible says, go ahead and make your plans, but as you plan, make sure that you allow God to have the last word. See, a lot of people aren't willing to do that, and therefore, their decision-making just is skewered. They can't make good decisions. You know who had a lot to say about this, about decision-making? James. James chapter 4, verse 13, beginning of verse 13, says this. Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend the year there, carry on business, and make money. Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast and you brag, and all such boasting is evil. James wasn't against planning. That's not why that was written. He's not against planning, and yet James had a major beef with people who plan in a presumptuous manner. You know what it is to presume something, to expect that something will happen, and to expect it with a certain confidence. We used to say a swagger. You know people like that? They're saying, well, this is going to happen. and we, you know, they have, they, They're not doing this, but they may as well be doing that, right? But you know what? Sometimes their swagger does not square with the facts. And James noted a general climate of presumption in a lot of these people's speech. And he sensed that they felt that they could control the future simply by articulating their dreams. These are my goals. These are my dreams. And like, uh, you know, because I've said it, it's going to happen. I can control the future. And he says in verse 14, why you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. You're, you're making plans five years out. You don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. So you know what? You want to make plans five years out? Make plans five years out. But don't come at me like this. Don't, don't give me that attitude, because you don't know what's going to happen five minutes from now. Instead, he says in verse 15, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. Go ahead and make your plans, James is saying. Please make plans, plans for the future. But as you plan ahead, leave room for direction from the head planner. That's all he's saying. Proverbs 16, verse 9 says this, in his heart a man plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps. All our best laid plans do no good unless God is there to allow them to happen. He's always in the mix, James says. Get him in the mix. I think if we do, if we make tentative plans as we're going about our lives, progressing, you know, moving ahead, moving ahead, doing the things that God has already called us to do, has already given us general instructions on how to do, then he's, gonna, he's certainly going to guide the specifics. He will guide the specifics. Now, look, let's be honest. 
A lot of you want God to guide you. I mean, you, see, you raise your hand and you say, yeah, I'm kind of indecisive. I wish I wasn't. I wish I was one of the ones that didn't put up their hands, one of the liars that didn't, I mean, one of the people who didn't put their hands up, you know? I really would like more help. I wish I could make these decisions easier. I wish I could make good decisions. I want God to help me make these decisions. But, you know, um, if you step back and you look at your life, maybe if you're honest, you'd see that you're not even following God in a general way. You're not even following the things that he said, do this. Find out how to love me. Find out how much I love you. And then love me. And then, and then begin to love other people. And then make a decision to maybe go out and serve, you know, because of this newfound faith, because of how your life is being. You see, those are general things. And then when you go about to do all these things, and you, you come up upon a situation where you need specifics, I will let you know. I will be there to help you. You know what? But a lot of times we go off-road. We go way off-road. And then we, you know, we say, God, why aren't you... Where are you? Why aren't you doing? You're helping us. Listen, first thing you got to do if you're making good decisions, go with what you know. Go with what you know. God directs moving objects. Then secondly, secondly, after you go with what you know, stop when you're blocked. Stop when you're blocked. They were moving, okay? Paul, Silas, they're moving. They're, they're doing their thing. And then they hit a series, this chapter tells us, a series of blocked doors. And verse 6 says this, Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the world in the province of Asia, not the continent. There was a, an area called Asia. And when they came to the border of Mycenae, they tried to enter uh, Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they pressed by Mycenae and went down to Troas. Here's, uh, here's Paul and here's Silas and Timothy, and they're sailing along, and they're anticipating that God is going to do great things, was going to do great kingdom work through them. And listen, Paul had a very, would you say Paul had a very impressive resume up to this point? I would say he had a very impressive resume. I would take it right now and run. Right, you know, right now I would take his resume and run, run out the door. Up to this point, he was doing great, and then all of a sudden, in chapter 16, he hits a brick wall. A brick wall. It wasn't as if, look, it wasn't as if Paul and Timothy were planning on arriving in the small province called Asia to run for mayor so that he can get political power and, you know, start building churches and stuff like that. And, and his goal wasn't to go north to Bithynia to a prosperous city by the Black Sea to hustle, you know, some unsuspecting citizens from life savings. Their goal was to what? To preach the gospel. And this is what they wanted to do. They started out in the southern end right over here, and they went north, north, north. And they wanted to make a hard left into Asia. And God said, doesn't tell us how. God said, no way, you're not going there. So they continued going. Where, where, where are they going to go? And well, they're on this road. Might as well get back on the road, right? We got gas. We're, we, we had our lunch. Let's, let's go north again. So they're going north. Then they get up, and Paul has this idea. Let's make a hard right to Bithynia. Let's go out there. I don't know what those people are like. Let's go out. Let's, let's go see them. And so God says, no, you're not going there. So what do they do? Well, they get back in their feet. I mean, you know, they didn't have anything there. And they start walking north again. And they start going north, north, north towards Mycenae. And they hit the border of Mycenae. And, and you know, they, they can't go left and they can't go right. So, and, and finally they end up in the city of Troas, which is right on the coast. Listen, the last time I checked, God had not left Paul and Silas and Timothy. But listen, going left and going right were not God's plans for them at that time to go to those places. 
And it seems, listen, you got to be sitting with Paul. I would love to be on this conversation. They get to Troas, and they're marching. They get to the, the sand, you know. They're there, and there's, then there's water, and they're going, well, where do we, what do we do now? Where are we going now? God had led them into a dead end. Now, if it's up to me, if it's me, about this time I'm starting to say, why did we come? Why did we do this? God has forsaken us. You know what? We, we're having one door after another slammed in our face. But, folks, you need to notice something here. This, this dead end had nothing to do with Paul. It had everything to do with the Holy Spirit saying, not here, not now. Those blocked doors were slammed shut and locked by God himself. And you need to know that God blocks as many, I think, a lot more doors than he opens, which seems to make sense because there's so many, there's so many options today, isn't there? There's like a thousand options. It's like if you opened every door, you'd be going, you know, it's like, it's like going to a diner with a menu. I don't even know what to order. Give me five choices. It'd be so much easier for me. I got to say no to all these other choices, and they all look so good. They're all great, you know? But God had locked those doors. And so you say, you're reading through this, you say, well, how did God block the doors? How did he block the door? I don't think it was an audible voice, although it may have been. I think it was the still, small, quiet voice of the Holy Spirit stirring his heart and removing his peace. Hey, that's gone. Well, let's go. Let's go to Asia. And he said, that's such a great idea. I've heard great things. And then all of a sudden he's praying about it. It's going I don't know. You know, I heard the food can give you, you know, a little, uh, I'm not sure about that. And whatever it was, he started to think differently. His mind started to change on that. And the voice of God was speaking to him. And it, you know, it brought him to the point where one day he woke up and he said, Asia, Bithynia, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not feeling right about this. Maybe, uh, you know, maybe on the day that they were packing up to leave, somebody got sick. Maybe somebody gets it. In fact, some people believe that, and here's why they believe it. Because in verse 10 of Acts chapter 16, the narrative goes suddenly in one verse from they and they, Paul, Silas, and Timothy went here, and they did this, and, they, and all of a sudden, it switches to we. Who's the we? Who wrote the book of Acts? The we is Dr. Luke. So a lot of commentators believe, can't prove it, but they believe that Dr. Luke was summoned because somebody was sick. Somebody in the party was sick, which would have, hey, when somebody gets, hey, Rupert was sick. That's why I'm here this morning, right? What are you going to do when somebody gets sick? There's nothing you could do. You can't move forward. Yeah, you know, I could drag him up here and put him on a bed and put a microphone in his mouth, but he's probably not going to be on the top of his game. I mean, he's just not, right? What are you going to do? Anyway, God stopped him. Look, Paul was not the kind of person when he came up with a sniffles or a little scheduling problem would go, well, obviously God doesn't want us to do this. I mean, I have the sniffles. You know, there's no Sudafed. It hasn't been invented yet. So what am I going to do? There's nothing I could do. So he was not that type of guy. And when God, through the agency of the Holy Spirit, slammed and shut the doors north and south, he gave him only two ways to go. You're either going east and then south, back home. You go back home or you go west, young man. Go west. Now, I, I can't overemphasize this. Does the decision that the Apostle Paul made through the agency of the Holy Spirit to go west, which was over the seas, get in a boat and go over the seas, over to Macedonia to make a beachhead for the gospel in Europe, was one of the most monumental decisions in all of history. 
bar none. The decision by Paul and Timothy to enter into Europe could easily be argued to have more impact on the lives of people than Columbus setting sail from Spain or Vasco da Gama discovering the sea route to the West Indies. It is hard to calculate the impact of Paul heading west and the gospel penetrating Europe for the first time in history. For the first time. And listen, listen. His decision came about, the guidance of God came about through the agency of blocked doors. That's how we ended up in Europe. God sometimes uses outward circumstances to guide us things like a blocked door. And the worst thing we can do after a little yeah, pushing, pushing, a little leaning in a little bit, you know, a little of that stuff to test whether it's really locked or just stuck, the worst thing you could try to do is to put your feet up, boom, and try to kick the door down. That's the worst thing you could possibly do. And by the way, if you're moving along, if you're progressing in the things he has already uh, called us to be done, that we're supposed to be, love God, love people, serve the world, don't be surprised by blocked doors. Don't be surprised. But know this, when God closes one door, he will always open another one. In God's sovereign wisdom and grace and love, he is able to steer us away from what is good to what is best. Would it have been good to go to Asia to that province and tell people about the gospel? I think it would have been good. But you know what? God said, no, not here, not now, not there, not then. We're going over the seas. One thing I'm pretty sure of, and that is, while he was in this waiting period, if you will, Paul wasn't, wasn't sitting in a corner saying, now what am I going to do? I guess it comes down, you know, and, I, and I, believe, I believe this wholeheartedly. I guess it comes down to understanding the difference between Satan's hindrances and God's blocked doors. See, sometimes Satan's got his foot on the door, and you're pushing, you're pushing, you're pushing, there's nothing happening. But God wants you to go through that door, but Satan's blocking that door. So how do you know? How do you know the differences? How do you know if it's God who's kind of doing this? on the other end of the door, kind of leaning up against it, and you're pushing and pushing and pushing, or if it's Satan. How do you know the differences? Well, first, these are just a few questions that you need to ask yourself. Number one, is what I want to do, walking through this door, is it in accordance with Scripture? Does it square with Scripture? Vance Havner said this. He said, we've heard that statement countless times. It all depends on how you look at it. Do you ever hear that statement? Well, it all depends on how you look at it. He said, nothing depends on how we look at it. That is anarchy with every man as his, as his own judge. Everything depends on how God looks at it and what he says about it in his word. If this prompting of God that you think it's the Lord leading you to do this, if it's not in line with Scripture, it ain't God. I got news for you right now. He will never go against his already stated, expressly communicated word, never. Some famous last words that I've heard before I saw Bodies crashing through closed doors that God, it was God. Famous last words like, uh, but we're in love. Famous last words. Or, or the deal is a bit shady, but we're never going to have an opportunity like this again. Or if I don't pass this test, they will be held to pay in the future. Or, this is my favorite, it's complicated. It's complicated. Yeah, my, my, my life is just more complicated than everybody else's. And that's just, you know, so, you know, God's word, it's like, hey, we'll try. We'll do the best we can. But, you know, really, 
God didn't figure this one out. Those are the final words many times with people who are about to crash into the support beams of relative living. If you come up against a closed door, but God's word has no prohibition against it, but it's not moving, hang on. Okay, that's the first test. Just hang on. Second, have you consulted with godly men and women? Have you consulted with people that you respect that are stumbling in the right direction? Proverbs chapter 19 says this, Listen to advice and accept discipline, and at the end you will be counted among the wise. Proverbs 22.18 says, Plans are established by seeking what? Advice. And I am astounded as to how many people who listen genuinely want to do what God wants them to do. Genuinely want to live their lives as God wants them to live their lives, but who often do not seek advice from those who have traveled longer in life. Parents, teachers, older siblings, trusted friends who who care more about you and where you will end up than the fact that their words are going to tick you off. Now you don't understand. Yeah, you 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 know you, you're oh you're too old. You don't get it. It's 2016. Stuff like that. They know, they know you're going to come back with that. But you know what? They love you too much to let you continuing down that path. See, and the people who are wise, will they'll know that, and they'll go after that, the people like that. There is a word for someone who feels that they need no advice, that they have all the wisdom that they need from their giant brains to make all the great decisions. You know what the word is? Arrogance. Arrogance. And I'm going to tell you something, folks. I think the level of arrogance is rising in America. I don't know why. I don't know what it is. But it just seems like everybody, nobody goes for advice because we all, we all have these giant brains and we know exactly what to do. Okay? And you know, you know what the Bible says about the arrogant? What's going to happen to them one day? It may not happen this year. It may not happen next year. What's gonna happen one, you know what's going to happen one year? They're going to be laid low. They will be laid low. Life itself will take over and they will be laid low. Last, last thing. Is it what you want? Is it what you want? You know, I talked to somebody recently. He said, you know, I think God's leading me to do this. And, oh, man, I don't want to do this. I just, you know, it's the last thing in the world I want to do. I was talking to somebody recently. I'm saying, well, maybe you shouldn't do it. I mean, you know, really, you know, you know why I say because Psalm 37 says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you what? The desires of your heart. Listen, if it lines up with Scripture, if you've consulted godly men and women, but you're like, You're holding your nose, having to go through the door. You know what? You should wait. Because if it's a God thing, you're going to change. Your heart will change. But listen to this. If we insist on having our way, God may do something that we are not going to like in the end. You know what he might do? He might let you walk through the door. See? And he knows that that's the worst thing in the world for you. But he'll let you walk through it when you start kicking it. When you have prayed and your plans line up with God's truth and you have sought counsel and your heart desires it and you continue to shove at the door, but it still doesn't move, it still doesn't move. When all those things have lined up, then assume that it's God on the other end leaning against it. Just assume that it's God on the other end. If it was a hindrance from Satan and you pushed and prayed and did everything that I just talked about, you know what? God's going to step in and he's going to go bump like that and the door is going to open. The door will open if it's in God's Sovereign will for you. Man's disappointments, someone wrote, are often God's appointments. Look, if we want to have God present in our decisions, 
you need to do the following things. Number one, you need to go with what you know. We need to be moving generally in the right direction with our lives. It's then that you could start, you know, he could start to steer you. He's not going to steer you if you're standing there. He could start to steer you. But we also have to recognize that sometimes God blocks doors. So if something's blocked, stop. Don't kick it in. Not just yet, okay? Just hang on. And lastly, one more thing. One more thing, decision-making. Wait until the way is clear. Wait until the way is clear. In the midst of one blocked passage after another, we read in verse 9. This is what it says in verse 9 of chapter 16. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. A no of the Spirit led to a yes of clear direction. And I don't know how long Paul had to wait. It doesn't say how long he had to wait, if it was an hour or if it was a month. I don't know what it was. But God finally gave him clear direction. And look, I understand that oftentimes in the waiting game, you're standing in front of the door and you're saying, you know, I'm frustrated, I'm angry, what's going on? There's no guidance. But when it comes, there's sweet relief. Sweet relief. If you are truly looking for God's leading and you find yourself at a dead end, do you, Christian, Talking to Christians, do you believe that God will provide a path to continue along? That's a question you need to ask. Does God ever speak through dreams today? By the way, you know, because everyone's looking at that and go, well, I have a vision. Well, I'll go if I had a vision. If I had a dream, and, you know, I'll go. Sure, let's do that. Does God ever speak through dreams today? You know what? I think he does. I honestly think he does. I also think that he works through daily dated readings from a devotional book written as one I read in 1918. See, I think he also, at the timing sometimes I read, and he's writing to the troops. Okay, Oswald Chambers is writing to the British troops during World War I. And I'm reading, I'm going, that's me. Why am I reading it today? I was just thinking about this last night. Why, why, you know, does God speak through that way? Of course he does. Of course he does. God is going to provide a way. But here's the thing. God will give you miraculous leading, I, I think, but it's not always the first thing that happens. And I'm always wary. Here, let me just throw this in really quick. I'm always wary of people who say they heard they heard a, they have a word from God. Brother, I have a word from God I want to tell you about. You should be doing this. I'm going, yeah, that's funny. You know what? God never told me that. So when he tells me, I'll do it. But yeah, he hasn't told me. But people have a word, and they have a word from God. Paul Little used to say this. He said, I get nervous when people imply a private pipeline to God. The words God led me are often merely the spiritual preference of our own self-centeredness. And I really think that's true a lot of times. You know what? We say, God's leading me to do this. No, it's, you're leading you to do that. John Wesley said this. He said, do not hastily ascribe things to God. Do not easily suppose that dreams, voices, visions, or impressions are revelations from God. They may be from him. They may be from nature, or they may be from the devil. Therefore, do not believe every spirit, but try the spirits to see whether they are from God. Folks, we will see the way to go. We will be able to make the right decisions when we follow the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. I really, truly believe that. He says in verse 9 and 10, he says, During the night Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia to help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding, in the English, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel. Very interesting word, concluding. Very interesting word. Uh, In the Greek, it basically means to congeal. Do you know when something congeals, what happens? It's like kind of, it's kind of liquidy and kind of wobbly. It's like this. And all of a sudden, it starts to harden up, right? It means to come together, to coalesce, to bind, to knit together for the pieces to finally be put together. The use of the word suggests that the dream that Paul had was confirmation 
of the voice of God that had been coming to him in a, in a number of other ways. See, it was the last piece of the puzzle, not the beginning thing. In other words, it was the final thing that brought it all together. And as he sat and as he waited, could you picture Paul? Now listen to this. Hey, wait a minute. Let me do this. Okay. He's sitting there, right? He's on the, he's on the end of the shore. And, you know, you got, the, you got the water. It's lapping up gently. It's low tide. And he's looking at his feet. You know, he's got his, get his sandals off. His feet's kind of flopping in the water there. And he's going, what the heck is going on? What's going on here? Where are I? God, what, what are you doing? And then all of a sudden, he looks out. And he looks at the water. And he says, wait a minute. There's a whole world out there that I know nothing about. Maybe, maybe God wants me to keep going along this path. Wait a minute, there's a ship. We can get passage on a ship. See, God changed his mind. God gave him a vision of what could be. And the last piece of the puzzle, God came to him in a dream. He said, listen, that's exactly where I want you to do and where I want you to go. And all of a sudden, it coalesced. And the result, we got ready at once, and we left for Macedonia. The navigation system was working after all. Okay. Jesus Christ, as he grew and matured from birth to manhood, he followed his father's leading. He was obedient all the time, abject obedience. You know, although he didn't know every tomorrow, you know, he knew that uh, God was, his father was leading him. Although we don't know tomorrows, you know, we know that God is leading us too. We know the same thing. Jesus knew that he had come, the big picture, he had come to die for the sins of man. He didn't come specifically to heal this guy and the blind guy. Oh, yeah, yeah, you know, we're going to raise that dead. He didn't come specifically. For, you, know what the, you know what the end game was that he started off with? I'm, I'm, I was born to die, to die for the sins of men and women. And he knew that from the very beginning. That was the reason to die for the sins of men and women and bear the full brunt of the wrath of God against everything unholy, everything ungodly that was within us. He understood that. But even at the end, though he knew the end game, even then he said this, Father, if you are willing, what do you say? Take this cup from me. Take the cup of wrath, take the cup of judgment that's about to be poured into me. Yet, not my will, but yours be done. He followed in obedience. He pushed against the door to see if there was another way. But as he continued in earnest prayer, he knew there was no other way. This was the path. This was the end. This was the way, the only way to save all men and all women. You know what Hebrews chapter 12, you say, well, yeah, but he wasn't very happy about it. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 says this. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You know what? While he was going through the mental anguish of the tortures that he was about to suffer, there was deep-seated in the heart of Jesus Christ a joy to know that what he was doing was going to save us. See, that's why he had joy. We will see the way 
as we follow the one who is the way. The Spirit of Jesus guided Paul. He will guide us, but we need to be in position. How can I know the will of God? How can I be guided? What am I supposed to do? Go with what you know. Go with what you know. He guides through to those who are following him in a general direction. He'll give you the specifics. Stop when you're blocked. At times the, the, the closed doors are more numerous than the open one, but you know, often it's God who blocked the locked door. Gently shove it. Gent, you know, give it a little, assume it, God's in it until you assume you know, God's in it. And then last, wait until the way is clear. Sometimes God will extraordinarily lead you. Listen, test it. It may well be God's will for you. When we see the way, that God wants us to go, folks, all of a sudden, your sorrow will become joy. And we're going to see the way only when we follow the way. And his name is Jesus Christ.